Hello, everyone, and welcome back to week four, episode three of the Pekarski Political Power Hour. And I'm here with Iggy Fomparosa, and let's get into the uh, news of the week here. So our first uh, domestic issue, and it's coming out of uh, NPR, um, is that the U.S. coronavirus cases uh, surpassed summer peak and are climbing higher fast. So this is a, a rapidly developing story as of now. Uh, more news has been coming out even as we're even as we are recording, uh, and really, really the story is that COVID nineteen has been roaring back across the entirety of the United States, an average of nearly seventy thousand new cases a day, and this is worse than the summer peaks uh, in August, uh, where were the last peaks, and this is already worse. Uh, we had the highest amount of hospitalizations since August nineteenth, um, and to quote. Uh, Dr. Bruce uh, Siegel, uh, president of America's Essential Hospitals, uh, which represents more than uh, 300 safety net hospitals, uh, he says, quote, we, we may see a surge like we have not seen yet, which, and that is very troubling. Um, and this is all under the guise of, the backdrop of it is that uh, holiday season, it is quickly approaching us. As of right now, we're going to get into Thanksgiving and then Christmas. That's when people, the weather gets colder. And so people are more likely to be contained within buildings. And COVID-19s reacts differently between buildings and if you were like in an open air place, like when it was the summer. Uh, When it's the summer, it disperses quicker and it's it's harder to infect people uh, when you're not in an enclosed space. But when it's winter and you have people together, uh, you're going to see. It's going to, things are predicted to be... um, are, are predicted to get possibly worse. So right now, though, the Midwest is the current most unsafe region. Uh, Wisconsin and Illinois each account for more than 30,000 cases uh, in the past week, according to the CDC. And that's more than, North, and that's more than California, which, is, which has a higher population than both of those states combined. Uh, and in addition, North and South Dakota have the highest uh, cases per capita in the country as of now. Uh, and a lot of people say uh, that we're in the middle of the third surge is what it's being coined as by uh, the experts. And this will only, again, this will only get worse uh, as the weather changes, it's predicted. And another uh, thing that's different from uh, the beginning of, uh, of, the, of the virus and the beginning of uh, pretty much uh, the infection is that now rural areas are, are starting to have high infection rates. Uh, this, is going, this might lead to a potential crisis uh, for hospital overcrowding uh, and their supplies and lack of supplies. Uh, and this is very much different than when the outbreak first began, but we'll see uh, possibly similar uh, circumstances uh, because now there is no reserve in rural area hospitals. Because when it first got here, um, you, see, you see in places like New York City uh, and places like Los Angeles, uh, th- when they started shutting down, that was where the virus first, like where we started hearing news about it, like back in January, March. Yeah. Uh, that's when people were really afraid. Um, but you saw that the, w- the way that they, those hospitals dealt with their overcrowding and with, with their lack of supplies is that they relied on the rural hospitals because it wasn't in the rural areas. But now, again, you're starting to see the rural areas are starting to even get impacted now, the infection spreading to there. Uh, so there's, not, there's no longer going to be a crutch uh, to uh, rely on. As, uh, again, uh, Dr. Speedle says, uh, we'll just have national shortages of everything, and there will be no ability to backstop here and there. 
your emergency rooms will be overwhelmed and your ICU will be overwhelmed, uh, end quote. And, uh, but again, to the listeners at home, it must be, uh, again, it cannot be stated that, it cannot be understated rather, that the solution to this issue is up to us. There is, this is not a hopeless scenario. And while the fight might now be being lost, we have the ability, we will always have the ability to turn the tide and it's actions that us as individuals can take, you know? I mean, uh, uh, our dorm, Opus, Opus Hall, me and Nagy's dorm, it's, uh, we, had a, we had a spike in cases as well. And you know how that was handled? We have handled it so far and now we have gotten to a place where there's almost no more infections in the building. Um, and that's because it's things like social distancing, mask wearing, and targeted policies uh, to limit crowds as much as possible uh, within these areas. So it's up to us to, to be able to stay safe and stay safe out there. Um, so what are your thoughts on that, Iggy? Um, I couldn't agree more. And it's funny how you bring up the fact that uh, there could be a natural shortage of basically every resource in the country. And at one point early on in, in this pandemic, there was talk of like meat shortage and the meat uh, <clears throat> industry is mostly located in the Midwest, if I'm correct, right? Because you're mm-hmm. from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and I've heard that uh, uh, L.A. is canceling Halloween. Um, I've heard that uh, that the health commissioner from Philly has recommended uh, to families uh, that they don't celebrate, uh, they take precautions celebrating uh, Halloween and Thanksgiving. Um, and he's, has even gone so far as to say that, you know, you shouldn't even go out and, uh, you know, trick-or-treat uh, with the family or have this large family gathering for Thanksgiving. Um, so I do, do believe we're in a third wave already, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and early on, uh, most experts said that, like, uh, cities were more susceptible uh, to... Uh, have large numbers of COVID cases, but it spread to rural areas, like you said, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. And we may see our health care system get overwhelmed. Um, and we haven't really flattened the curve yet. There's all this talk about flattening the curve, and it hasn't happened yet. So. No, because, I mean, it, if you saw, if you, if you look at the graphs in September, you see it actually starts to go down, but it's, it's, snowballing again because how these goes it, it, it snowballs because in fact what you see is that infection rates go up and infection rates have been going up throughout uh, October but then the most worrying part is hospitalization rates go up because hospitalization rates are they're correlated with uh, infection rates but hospitalization rates is it's more linked to the severity of it because you know COVID-19 it could it, 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 it's very like it could either be a cold or it could be something that's possibly fatal but the hospitalization rates, and they are climbing, and that's, that's the most scary number, is that it's an incident. That is the one that's increasing. And not only do, or do we have to worry about COVID-19, but you have to think of the fact that we're in flu season already. So on top of that, there's flu, you know? Um, so it's important for you know, our listeners to go and get a flu shot already. Because now is the time to do so. Oh, yeah. You want to take precautions. Um, yeah, it doesn't look good for, for the entire country. Um, and you would think that 
the hardest the, the the areas that would be most hardest hit would be urban areas but I feel like that has withered away and now it's kind of now it's the rural areas that are bearing the brunt of it all um, so yeah it's not looking too good mm-hmm. but again again the silver lining again is that this it should not it should not be hopeless the situation is definitely not hopeless even though it it has the potential to get worse the only way this can be fought, that this virus can be fought, and that the tide can be turned, is if, is if us as individuals stay safe, put on masks, and make sure to social distance whenever possible. Use discretion, you know. Um, make sure uh, to, to to just if you ha- especially if you have elderly uh, family members or friends. Um, make sure that they're safe. Make sure that the people that they uh, are, are interacting with are, are, are not susceptible to infection. And make sure they're staying in as much as possible, yes, but, you know, make sure that, again, obviously emotionally keep up with them uh, through things like social distancing. Like, you know, like go, from, go on a Zoom call or, you know, a regular calling. Like I was talking to my grandparents yesterday, uh, but, you know, uh, make sure that everything is, is always caught up, you know. Um, but, again... It, it's got to be stated that you to save lives, wear masks, and socially distance. Not only on an individual level, it's, what you've said is is uh, very important, but not only on an individual level, but, on, but also collectively. We're all in this together. You know, and I feel like our elected officials, our, our leaders on Capitol have failed us. You know, we can't just reopen the economy and just go get back to go back to the thing how things were back then in pre-COVID. You know. That's not. That's simply not going to happen. Um, and there's been talks of another st- another round of stimulus uh, spending, but there's so much gridlocking on Capitol Hill and Honestly, so much polarization that it, it's it's it's. I think it's disgusting how they. There's so much partisanship on Capitol Hill that they can't even like yeah. give. They're too afraid. One side is too afraid to give le- leverage to the other side when. People's like livelihoods are at risk. Definitely, you know? and already you you've already seen it. A few days ago, actually, Congress adjourned, uh, and they haven't they they never came to a to a deal. So the stimulus has not come yet, and that's going to be that's that's especially at this point where things are are starting to come roaring back. That's that's really unhelpful. That's very much unhelpful. And I've heard of uh, Trump talk about payroll tax, the payroll cut, um, the ta- payroll tax cut. How is that going to help anyone if almost if so many people are out of job like are laid off? You know how is that going to benefit those who've been laid off? Um, so it's absurd to me what 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 those who've who've been laid off like these individuals who've been laid off in America these workers you know they've been just laid off they what they need <clears throat> more importantly is you know uh, government assistance um, they can't just you know, pull themselves by the bootstraps. That's just not going to happen. And so what you need is the government to step in. And now more than ever is the time for the government to step in. This isn't government encroachment. This isn't tyrannical. This is about saving people's lives. And the the only institution that can possibly um, do so uh, in, in, in such an immense way is for the government to step in. Um, but I know that there's a wing of the Republican Party. Uh, most of them are libertarians and uh, constitutionalists who don't want to, uh, you know, 
give more power to the government because they believe that you know they don't want you know increase the deficit. Uh, they're worried about the you know uh, debt when <laughs> it's too late now to worry about these things, and it's not like you know they were gonna do you know uh, do anything about it you know because they said they were gonna uh, balance the budget they have not done so, and the federal deficit has increased ever uh, so more even you know yearly and so I think they're hypocrites and it's how can they honestly th I, I, it, it amazes me because they are gonna lose this election if they just spew the same talking points um, and so that's why I think uh, Trump is not gonna win the presidency um, because he's failed in the pandemic and he's just failed to get Mitch McConnell to pass a stimulus package and yeah. All right. So the next story is <clears throat> uh, the wildfires that are continuing in uh, California. Um, as of right now, ninety thousand of ninety thousand uh, residents of California have been forced to uh, flee uh, California as a result of the wildfires, and these wildfires have doubled in size. Uh, the Silverado fire and Blue Ridge fire grew rapidly overnight, um, forcing more evacuations in Irvine and other parts of Orange County. This was uh, yesterday, um, which was Tuesday. Um, as two wildfires raged across Southern California on Tuesday, uh, nearly doubling in size overnight and forcing thousands more people to flee their homes, the state's utility companies are again coming under scrutiny for the potential role in sparking new blazes. Uh, the fire raised more concerns about whether utilities have substantially improved their safety efforts and whether the company should have more broadly shut off power in Southern California this week. Uh, Edison's posture stood in contrast to Pacific Gas and Electric, which turned off power to a broad swath of Northern California beginning on Sunday over fears of dangerous wildfire conditions. Uh, fueled by strong Santa Ana winds, the fires in Orange County have put more than 90,000 people under emergency evacuation orders, many of them in Irvine. Um, before I turn it to you, Mike, I was just wondering, like, where are these <laughs> 90,000 residents that are forced to evacuate going to go now? Um, what do you have to think? What do you have to say about this? I mean, I'd really say, like, I mean, because... This is honestly, it's it's sad to say, but I mean, at this point, it's 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 almost become a, a regular uh, of California and of all these Western uh, states that they have been almost consistently on fire for the entirety of the summer, um, and and tragedies like this, these these ninety thousand people, where are they going to go? They're probably either they're probably going to move uh, east, or you know, they're obviously going to get out of the way of the fire if they can. Uh, but really, you, you have this population uh, uh, dis displacement, um, and a, a lot of it never gets solved. You know, like like a lot of a lot of this, the houses they 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 might get rebuilt or they might not, and you lose everything. Uh, and especially if you don't have insurance, you are going to be pretty much homeless, and you're pretty much going to be. Um, it's 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 just a tragedy, and really, it's <clears throat> it's it's directly tied to to, to climate change. You know, you, you don't have these kinds of, of perpetual fires uh, 30 years ago. You don't have these kinds of, of, of one in a hundred years uh, disasters as you do uh, 
uh, 30 years ago. And I mean, you know, at the same time that California's burning, you have that there was recently a hurricane in uh, in the southern states. And you know, my friend, he goes to Tulane on that. He goes to Tulane and he uh, actually had, uh, at least he didn't say, obviously New Orleans didn't suffer the brunt of it, but he did have, um, there were significant storms in New Orleans. So at the same time you're having this, you're having just across the board, uh, higher levels of uh, natural disasters. Uh, I, in my opinion, it's, I believe that the state utility companies are do uh, do play a part in this um, because their poor management of this of, uh, of just letting this happen and they've been very irresponsible. Uh, but I wanted to mention something. According to the New York Times, more than five million acres have burned across California, Colorado, Idaho, Monta- Montana, Oregon, and Washington State this year. In California alone, fires have burned more than 4.1 million acres, destroyed 10,488 homes and other structures, and led to at least 31 deaths. Uh, these are crunching statistics right here. And I feel like people have forgotten about what happened in Australia. Mm-hmm. You know, it's similar to what, what, it went, what went on in Australia uh, during the winter break. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what what's happening in, in the West Coast. Um, and you've, you're already seeing thousands of California residents fleeing Cal- the state of California and potentially moving to Texas mm-hmm. or even to the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been evacuation centers such as um, in Irvine and other parts of the counties uh, such as like parks, and schools and community centers for those who've uh, lost their homes and they don't have insurance. Um, but even then, it's it, it must be awful, and they must be filled with misery for just losing everything that they had, you know, in their homes. And now they have, they're pretty much <laughs> ended up living in parks and community centers and even schools. Um, yeah, but. What we can say is that the firefighters are doing all they can to uh, contain these wildfires, and so we should give them credit for, for you know, busting their balls for this because, you know, if it wasn't for them, you know, I feel like more acres of land would be, uh, you know, under, you know, the stress of the wildfires. So, yeah. I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. And I mean, you know, again, you, you have the short-term views of like, yeah, the, the electricity companies obviously are at fault with this because, again, California has like, it really has like a storied history of just energy companies and like, and just crooked things. Like, uh, if you remember uh, Enron, oh, uh, yeah, decades ago, like their whole, their whole crooked deeds with, uh, with, with power supply and demand, it's, it's really because there's only, I would say because um, there's not enough uh, competition or there's not enough oversight of these companies and they're just allowed to dictate these vast swaths of land. Uh, that's why you have all this mismanagement, and, and they, that's why you have these problems. I feel like the, they're to blame, but also the state, um, because it's a partnership, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I feel like they're both sides to be that are responsible for, for, for this catastrophe. Um, but I wanted to uh, give you... Uh, from this figure in in, uh, in California, um, so 
This is from Captain Jason Fairchild of the Orange County Fire Authority. Our concern is getting people back in their homes once it's safe. Now, who knows if when when it's going to be safe? Honestly, <laughs> honestly. So yeah. Um, so uh, the next story is um, Trump announces Sudan Israel to normalize ties in U.S. U.S., which makes it a brokered deal. Uh, the White House has touted the announcement as a major achievement less than two weeks before the November election. Uh, President Trump on Friday said Sudan plans to normalize relations with Israel, which would make it the third Arab state to do so in recent weeks and the fifth ever. Trump himself almost immediately politicized the news, framing it in terms of opposition to his Democratic opponent, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden. He announced the agreement the agreement to reporters in the Oval Office while Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu was on speakerphone and asked him, do you think Sleepy Joe could have made this deal? Baby, uh, Sleepy Joe, I think, do you think he would have made this deal somehow? I don't think so. Um, it, I, I think that not much has come out of this. I don't think it really makes a difference. Um, because it's not like, geographically speaking, Sudan and Israel were have had previous uh, encounters, um, and so. But I, I feel like we have to be optimistic at the same time, though. You, know, you have had UAE, um, Bahrain, and now Sudan that have recognized the state of Israel, so. I'm interested in what other more nations are going to go along with this. Uh, obviously, Palestine, the, the Palestinian Authority, and Hamas are not too happy about this. Um, but what we can learn from this is that you're you're seeing normalization, normalization, normalization of relations um, between Israel and these Muslim, predominantly Muslim countries, which would have been unheard of decade before so yeah um, what do you think of this i mean really i mean yeah because i've also heard i've heard uh, rumblings about this that it's that uh there's going to be even bigger players that are going to sign on to this uh, as well uh, i've heard saudi arabia was mentioned or at least uh it could it could be uh mentioned as uh recognizing israel and that would be honestly that that's a huge uh strategic player in the middle east because really it comes down to there's the sunni block and then there's the shia block uh, which are the two, obviously, the, there's two branches in Islam. Uh, and Saudi Arabia has, has their, has a whole political block of nations, uh, and Iran, is, which is Shia, has their own political block. And obviously, the, I, I, don't, I don't think the Iranian uh, and, and their block would really uh, back this ever, but if Saudi Arabia and, and, and the Sunni block backs it, um, I, at the very least, you're going to see at least a, a more stabilized Middle East uh, and you know, I, 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 there are critiques to be made of Israel and and of and of some of their actions, but really, at the end of the day, a, a more stable Middle East and a and a uh, less less hostile Middle East is usually a it's it's a it's a path towards towards something better. You know, it it really is. So I mean, this might be a small step, but I think that this could that this could be a domino effect. And because again, I've heard. Uh, Saudi Arabia's name mentioned. That's really, I would say, uh, it's it's noted as almost a regional superpower.
uh, in the region. And for the point of view, it's funny how you bring up Saudi Arabia. For the point of view for Saudi Arabia, it's the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, and I feel like there's some correlation to it um, because, like you said, Saudi Arabia, they're Sunni, and in Iran, they're Shiite, and they both hate each other. Um, they have had they have had dealings in in Yemen, you know, with their own little proxies that are uh, currently in, at war with, um, and so I feel like the House of Saud they realized, oh, maybe we can form an alliance with Israel because Israel also despises Iran, the Iranian regime, and so it, it looks like they're teaming up. Um, and trying to uh, pressure Iran to uh, uh, secede more of their influence um, in the Middle East. Um, but you have to realize that Iran, ha they do have uh, proxies that are operating in the Middle East, like Hezbollah. Uh, Iran d uh, does fund uh, Hezbollah with arms and also Hamas. Um, and so they are enemies to the state of Israel, and they, uh, Israel and Iran have never had good relations. And that's not to say that Saudi Arabia and Israel have, have had good relations <laughs> in the past, oh, yeah. but less so. Um, and so I would say that this is a strategic move uh, more than just a political move. And at the very and at the very least, if something if something even bigger comes of it, uh, and even if it doesn't, this is a win for the not only the Trump presidency but for the United States' interests in the region, uh, because really uh, it's it's a U.S. broker peace deal. Uh, it's it's uh, <clears throat> it was it's something tantamount to when uh, Jimmy Carter uh, had uh, the Camp David yeah. Accord. Yeah, like uh, like uh, when he. When the Camp David occurred, uh, Accord occurred, it was a huge success. Um, but obviously, it, it didn't save his presidency or anything. But this would be a, this would be a massive victory for U.S. foreign policy. And if it comes before the election for the Trump administration, I would say. I don't think it's going to have much of a difference in this election because, I, I, if you want my own opinion, I don't think Americans have cared too much about what goes on overseas in the Middle East as of right now, especially with, with the pandemic. You know. Um, so they're largely, f I feel like the American people are largely focused on, on uh, what's going on in, in domestic affairs uh, rather than like if, you know, yeah, Israel normalizes relations with Sudan, but that's just my opinion. Um, but I, I would like to say one thing. Um, there's been talks uh, about if uh, Trump will, will receive the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, I'd like to hear what you have to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, personally, I, 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 don't, I don't think that that's exactly uh, warranted. I mean, but I mean, at the same time, I don't think, I don't think Trump deserved it. I don't think Obama deserved it either because, again, I, I would definitely say that this, this is not worthy of a Nobel Peace Prize or anything. <laughs> because, um, again, the United States, again, is still, uh, it's still engaged, really, in, 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 in interventions across the world. Uh, and that's definitely not exact. That's definitely not a, a, a peacemaker kind of uh, kind of action. When you say under some circumstances, some of the intervention that the U.S. gets involved in can be positive. When you say that. Or
I would say that that's arguable, uh, but uh, specifically their interventions uh, in Afghanistan, uh, their, their current, well, their ongoing ones in Afghanistan, uh, in Somalia, and in all these other places, you, you, you have especially the use, of, the use of drones and of drone warfare, and that has been proven to be a, a very disastrous policy, because while it does get American boots off the ground, it's, it's ineffective in, in, in actually surgically destroying terrorism because it has a high uh, civilian mortality rate. So, I mean, again, it, it, I would not say that it would be, um, even it, while it would be obviously very, I would say very good for the Middle East to have, uh, m to have more, at least diplomatic agreements, um, I, I, would, I would definitely, I would be very much not uh, in favor of Trump getting the, uh, getting the Nobel Peace Prize. And for the same reasons, I, I don't, I would, I, completely disagree with Obama getting the Nobel Peace Prize. I honestly forgot the reason why he got the Nobel Peace Prize. I don't remember. I can't recall the reason why he would receive the Nobel Peace Prize, but uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with, with that statement you made. Um, but we're not trying to... I, well, I don't, I don't... I'm not trying to uh, dismiss it as something that is not significant. All I'm saying is, if it was a country that was more significant, strategically speaking, um, like, for example, um, Palestine, or Syria, or even Iran, uh, then, or, or, of course, Lebanon, then I would be praising this uh, more, but I don't see why it's people are making it such a big deal out of it if if it's just Sudan, Sudan, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. So, moving on to our uh, <coughs> final story, and this is uh, coming out for a domestic uh, DC story. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> this comes from uh, uh, PBS uh, NewsHour, and uh, the headline is uh, "Black DC Archbishop's Rise Makes Historic Moment." And so this is uh, Wilton Gregory, uh, 72-year-old. He's a native of Chicago, so, you know, the uh, guy got some, got some help there. Uh, and he was uh, Archbishop of D.C., so that's how it's local, uh, became uh, the first black cardinal uh, to be tapped by uh, Pope Francis. And he's the first African-American cardinal uh, from, uh, for the Catholic Church. Uh, and his uh, track record is, is that uh, he was the... Uh, president of the U.S. Uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops from 2001 to 2004, uh, and he's been particularly he's been particularly uh, adamant in his addressing of the systemic sex abuse within the Catholic Church. Uh, but personally, I, I I still don't think he's gone far enough. As obviously, uh, the current situation of of the Catholic Church has been has been maintained. Um, but at the very least, he's a force for change. He's, he's a force for reform within the church. So his, uh, his moving up is a significant development in that regard. Uh, and he also believes that the church should take a more active role in social justice issues. Uh, most recently, uh, after the death of George Floyd and the protests against police brutality that ensued, uh, in the months after, he said um, that the church lives in society. The church does not live behind the four doors of the structures where we worship. And another thing that he does is that he backs LGBTQ plus uh, community, and he endorsed uh, Pope Francis's recent uh, claims 
uh, that uh, he supported uh, civil unions for same-sex couples. So, I mean, while this is definitely not the, the biggest news, it is definitely local, uh, um, and it seems as though, as this is, again, the Catholic University of America, I would say that, I mean, our, our take on this is that, I mean, this is a force for good. This is, a, this is definitely a, a good thing that's happening, because, I mean, what's really, what you've been seeing is that, I mean, the church, it needs to be reformed, I would say. It need, there needs to be some uh, uh, reform, especially with the sex abuse scandals that have been plaguing it uh, for, for, for decades at this point. Um, a, a force that I would says say hundreds of years. Oh yeah, I would I would definitely say that too. But I mean, just even 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 recently in the United States, things have been coming have things have been coming to a head in the recent decades um, that the Catholic Church needs um, somebody to uh, to address not only not only address this because I believe Pope Francis has addressed this, but there needs to be something more done about it. There really there really needs to be more a more open. Uh, kind of uh, way of, of how these kinds of issues happen. Yeah, there have to be people who have, who have to be held accountable for, uh, for, for, for getting involved in these sex scams. Um, I, I just want to add something. I, I, I feel like you know, Wilton Gregory uh, becoming the first black cardinal is a, is a big deal. It is, extremely, it is an extremely big deal. Um, it's extraordinary, but you know, maybe one day we'll We'll finally see uh, a black pope, you know, in the near future. Um, let's see who the Catholic Church picks as a successor for uh, Pope Francis. Um, as for the, uh, the Pope Francis endorsing, uh, uh, supporting uh, civil—I mean, endorsing civil unions for same-sex couples. Um, I am more of a traditionalist. Um, and so I, 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 I believe that in the basic tenets of the Catholic Church, and by all means we do need some reforms in the Catholic Church, but I, I don't believe that um, Pope, Pope Francis should uh, get in the business of, uh, of actively uh, being political. But that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and, and, but I mean, at the very least, uh, you you should at least back that. I mean, there needs to be reformers within within the church because, again, uh, I would say my main critique of the church as of now is that they have not gotten with the times. They have not gotten with the times, and that has been that is how they've been plagued by this. You know, that's how that's how they have these mass exoduses from the church. You see, after after all these sex abuse scandals come out, you see everyone uh, the the rate of uh what's it called like of people falling out with the faith has has has, has skyrocketed and there's been a few factors and that's obviously been going up uh for for years now for decades now but i mean when you see stuff like this i mean you've, you've got to think like there's got to at least be uh support for reformers uh within within the church i would start with uh you know confronting head-on with corruption because uh the Catholic Church has a history of corruption. It's riddled with corruption. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm also for reforming the Catholic Church um, because it's not like the Catholic Church doesn't have a large base. You know, it's more than a billion people in, in this in this uh, world are are Catholic, identify as Catholic, and so uh, I. 
do believe that uh, it's time for change. I'd say so too. Church. And again, like uh, one, one again, another one of my uh, opinions on this is that I think that it's actually it could be very beneficial for that the Catholic Church is that one of its main uh, its whole thing is that it's 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 an organization. You know, it's not like because you see in all these Protestants and non-denominational sects, it's really just like the local church is this denomination and there isn't any higher structure. The Catholic Church is structured, has been structured from the very beginning. It's an ancient institution, but that can either be a lot of bad as way, as you see what happened uh, with, with, const, with these content sex abuses. But if you get the people in power that have reform in mind and that have openness in mind, you have the power to have a, a lot of good throughout the world, to make a lot of good throughout the world with, 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 uh, with Catholic churches, because it is an organization at the end of the day. There is a, a chain of command for, for people being held accountable. Yeah. That, I feel like that's a problem for every type of dogma. Um, you know, you'll always, it's bound, to, it's bound to have corruption, it's bound to have all types of scandals. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't improve upon, um, you know, these uh, uh, horrible, uh, you know, incidents, um, we can always build on them, build upon them, you know, and so I, if you agree that, that if, if you, if you are in the position of praising Pope Francis for supporting civil unions for same-sex couples, then by all means do so, but, um, I would like to see other reforms take place in the Catholic Church. All right, then. Well, that's going to be it for today uh, with the Pekarski Political Power Hour. Again, if you want to keep up with us on, uh, what's it called? If you want to talk to us, discuss anything that happened that we went over today, uh, again, just give us an email at uh, T-H-E-P-P-H-W-C-U-A at gmail.com. Again, it's T-H-E-P-P-H wcua at gmail.com we'd love to listen to you we'd love to hear from you um and again our next uh episode should be airing if everything goes to plan on either november uh or november 9th or 10th um and that's going to be a uh, week after election day so we're probably going to be going over the the aftermath of that no matter what happens you know if any anyone gets declared a winner or not or or, or just exactly what's going to happen that's going to be a very interesting uh day to go over stuff i i would say yeah, oh, yeah. basically analyze what went down on election day um and yeah so i'm iggy and i'm mike see you around and uh can't wait to hear from you next week